The following was recorded live at Podtails on October 20th, 2019, using hardly improvised recording equipment. The sound quality isn't great, but we hope you'll enjoy it anyway. Today we present an interview with Jordan Cobb, creator of Giannis Descending, as well as a prolific actor appearing in such shows as Among the Stars and Bones, Mythos, and 1994. Jordan sat for a live conversation with noted podcast critic Ellie Fernandez-Collins. I'm going to read a bit of a bio here for Jordan. Um, so Jordan Cobb wears enough hats to sink a battleship. Um, <laughs> she's an accomplished stage um, and voice actress, writer, director, and showrunner. Her first audio creation was the underwater sci-fi podcast, Here Be Dragons. Since then, she's founded No Such Thing Radio, an audio production company, and created the acclaimed sci-fi horror podcast, Giannis Descending, which tracks the stories of two xenoarchaeologists on a small world orbiting a binary star, investigating the remains of a lost alien civilization. And as you can imagine, it goes real great. <laughs> Bring Kleenex to that one if you haven't listened yet. Uh, she's currently in the process of developing six audio dramas. Primordial Deep, Descendants, Eden with Sarah Rhea Warner, Damned Minutes with A.R. Olivieri, Moonlight with Julia Schifini, and a spin-off of Giannis Descending called Arc Juno. Most recently, Jordan was on stage with Shakespeare and Company as Anne Page in The Merry Wives of Windsor. You can hear her voice acting work as Shell on Giannis Descending, as well as Marsfall, Among the Stars and Bones, 1994, and Mythos, there's more, but if I list them all, we're never going to listen to Jordan speak. <laughs> Jordan, please take a nap. Uh, <laughs> what, now? <laughs> Seems like bad timing. <laughs> so first we're going to see move you it up in here. So I would love for you to right now speak your deepest, biggest dream into the universe so that we can get this party started with some positive energy. Ooh. There are so many, um, but my biggest one at the moment is I really want to actually be able to have the discipline to sit down and finish writing uh, the book that I'm currently working on. I was four chapters in, and then I had to scrap a whole chapter, so I'm three chapters in now, but I, that's my big, big dream for the moment. Good. Yeah. That's a wonderful dream. Also, apparently, she's also writing a book. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I have time to take a nap tomorrow. I'll take a big one in honor of you. <laughs> so you have a new podcast. Who's oh, surprised? Uh, you're currently crowdfunding on Indiegogo, Primordial Deep. Tell us what Primordial Deep is about. Um, Primordial Deep is a story about a group of explorers who are tasked by a secret organization to go to the bottom of the ocean and figure out why a bunch of prehistoric creatures are reappearing in seas. Uh, it's going to be about seven episodes long for the first season. It's going to be an ongoing series. Uh, it came up, I pretty much wrote the whole thing over the course of this summer, over two months, and then had to sit on it for far longer than I wanted to and just hold those secrets in. Um, which is really, really hard because I, I'm really excited about this project because uh, it's essentially my excuse to shout about dinosaurs <laughs> and just be really, really excited about dinosaurs all of the time. That's a, that's a pretty good excuse. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so in... You've stated before online um, that Primordial Deep was born at least in part from your desire to craft stories uh, for people of color where they are the hero. Um, I'm gonna read a couple of those tweets because I think we need to hear it. Yeah. Um, 
I'm gonna let my phone open the tweet. <laughs> um. A couple of months ago, I posed a question to this community, asking what stereotypes they were tired of playing and what characters they would rather see themselves play. Almost every single person of color said, I want to play the hero. Cast me as the hero. And I fucking wept. In this story, I am deliberately trying to hold space for people who are systematically pushed aside, or worse, who are included only to push someone else's story along as a stepping stone for someone else's greatness. Not here. I am making space for new heroes. So first of all, Jordan, um, I would like to make space for you here as a hero. Can everybody please give Jordan a round of applause? cry. The plan was to make you cry, and then I made myself cry. So, you know, I Here played myself. My, my evil, devious <laughs> plan. So, tell me what it is that you mean by these words, right? What do you want the communities that are involved in fiction podcasting to take away from this when they are creating? Um, I have noticed in a lot of projects not only that I've been a part of in this community, but also in just the wider realm of when I'm acting, when I'm reading books, anything, that a lot of characters uh, who end up as characters of color are the ones that it doesn't necessarily matter what the race is, that it doesn't have anything to do with the story necessarily, that it's just this was a character who you can kind of tell was written as a white person and that it was just written in later, or just you found an actor of color to play that person. That space was not intentionally made to include other people's narratives. And so I wanted to find a way to create characters who were meant to be played by people who look like me, by people who don't look like me, by people whose stories I don't ever really get to hear. Um, because they're not necessarily being written, that they're just either, uh, I hate to phrase it this way, but sometimes they are just throwaway characters, mm -hmm. or, um, I forgot the other half of that sentence because the first half made me mad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Valid. <laughs> um, but what I was trying to do with Primordial Deep, because when I did reach out, uh, and I was hearing so many people in the community, uh, newcomers and people who I've, I've worked with before saying that, hey, I want to see myself in these stories. Um, it stuck with me because I've seemed to have accidentally fallen into the brand of somebody who writes horror, which was never really my intention because uh, I hate scary stories. I'm the biggest baby on the face of the earth. I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Uh, but in horror and in science fiction as well, I'm a huge science fiction fan, you find a lot of characters of color who either, who what they look like doesn't 
necessarily matter to the plot, or they end up being the characters who terrible things are constantly happening to, not only because it's horror or because it's science fiction, but because it will make their white leads look better, or because it will force a response from these characters who are, you know, you've got the sassy black friend in the horror film. They die, and their best friend, who's the main character, is now like, oh, I have a reason now to finally, like, fight and stand up and do what's right and save the world. And I'm tired of it, frankly. I get real tired of watching the people who I know from having seen them and experienced them in my own lives just be stepping stones and background characters to just fill out someone else's story. So I'm trying to find ways to push those storylines <coughs> to the front lines. And while that may not be what the focus of the first season of Primordial Deep is, because I didn't have actors in mind when I wrote uh, the first season. I just knew that I wanted to create a space. But moving forward from here, there's going to be a lot more. I'm going to be directly working with my actors to figure out, hey, how can I bring aspects of who you are and things that you want to see and experience in stories or just have out in fiction in the world? How can I bring that to the forefront? How can we work together and tell these stories that most of the time just get overlooked, walked over, or, you know, slashed in the bathroom and never you don't think of it for the rest of the film? That's amazing. I think that's an, a, an incredible goal for your work. Um, it's going to take some time, but it's yeah. going to be fun, I think, to work with. Mm -hmm. So you've noted before in interviews, um, like the one that you had with Sarah Golding in the Madonna podcast, mm -hmm. um, that podcasting is still a heavily white cis male space. And uh, to be clear, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, so spaces like this... Uh, need active involvement um, in order to make them equitably inclusive, which means thinking about even how we present ourselves to interested parties to make it safe to approach in the first place. Mm. So what are some tangible or concrete op uh, actions or ideas that you have that you'd like to see more of um, in order to accomplish a space where marginalized people can feel safe joining us? I think this is really tricky, and I may not necessarily have the best experience to speak to this, but in, in my experience, a lot of the time, it's just being able to have yourself open to have conversations with people. And that may not necessarily always mean talking. That means that sometimes you need to know when you need to take a step back and leave the floor and let other people speak. Um, I find that if you find actors that you love, writers that you love, producers, sound designers, anyone that you love, and if they are marginalized, and you have a platform, use your platform to push them forward. The reason that we have, I believe, the reason that we have platforms, the reason that you know, we are given these opportunities, these chances to speak is so that we can use that opportunity. That, you know, I'm in a room with all of you right now and I can use this opportunity to 
give hands up and help other people so that they can reach wider audiences so that they are no longer finding themselves on the margins necessarily in, in all aspects. That there are things in life we can't combat, but you know, there's also a lot in our life that we can control. And so I think it's that if you find yourself in a position of, of control, know when to seed it and know when to use it. Very good answer. <laughs> so um, as you noted, you don't like horror. <laughs> no. Which, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in fact, on uh, you know on uh, on Radio John Revival, when you had an interview with David Reinstrom, uh, you talked about the fact that you use the concepts that scare you as a way to write terrifying audio. You put them into your scripts. You think, oh, I'm scared of this, so I'm going to use it, and I'm going to stick it in here, and I'm going to do that thing. So, but where does the desire to frighten people come from? Like, why why is why are these the stories? so far, right, that you have chosen to tell? Um, it's not necessarily that I have the desire to frighten people. It's more that I have the desire to figure out people, that all of the stories that I tell, I'm personally wrestling with trying to figure out something about what it is to be a human being, something about what it is that we're all constantly going through and how we interact with other people. Um, so with Giannis Descending, uh, for a more tangible example, it's how far will we go for the things that we love? Whether that's a person, whether that's a concept, whether that's something we just desperately want in our lives, how far will we go for love? Um, and there are some people who will, you know, do, like Chell, does some pretty shady shit at the beginning, like in the prologues, you know, breaks into her partner's personal things and is rifling through information and then gets herself an appointment with his boss, goes directly over his head and says, hey, I want this. Uh, on the other side, you know, there are people, there is evidence that People will kill for love. People will do horrible, horrible things. And I wondered, well, how do we get there? What do you have to go through in order to get to that place for love? So I had my baseline of what are we dealing with emotionally? And then it's, well, what physically or mentally has to happen to a person to get them from point A of like, I'm just going to sit here quietly pining to I'm going to do a murder because I think that's what the person I love would want me to do. <laughs> and it's, you know, so I think it's, uh, there's a huge spectrum to what it is to be human. And I want to play in all spaces of said spectrum. And if that means that I have to scare the shit out of myself in order to do so, occasionally I'm just going to have to suck it up, put my big girl pants on, and do so. <laughs> How are you um, planning on addressing this uh, in Primordial Deep? Uh, Primordial Deep is more action thriller. 
Uh, and it's, you know, also my excuse to just talk about dinosaurs and just play with dinosaurs. So it's figuring out, I'm still sort of piecing together what the underlying thread of Primordial Deep is. Uh, I always find that I fall into my stories, whether it's figuring out what the narrative is, figuring out where the plot is going. Like, I have the whole of the story, I think it's going to be four or five seasons, maybe pretty much arced out, uh, but it's really finding the pieces of humanity that are best it's slotting them all into place to tell the story that I'm telling and figuring out what that means. And it's a lot of how far we go. Yeah. Sounds like a very interesting puzzle for you. It is. Mm -hmm. I'm having a grand time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see here. So um, since we're talking about the design of your stories and Mm -hmm. and things like that, in both Giannis Descending and as far as we can tell from your description, Primordial Deep, there's an element also of taking risks, right, in the name of the work, whether the work is love, right, for a person or science. Science is a big one. Um, <laughs> would you consider yourself a risk taker? Um, I'm trying to be. I haven't been for a good portion of my life. Uh, and I think that comes from a lot of different places and a lot of... I spent a lot of time trying to shape myself into what other people needed me to be. And when I got about halfway through college, had to start figuring out what it was to just be myself. And I'm still figuring that out. So I'm trying to take risks in certain areas so that I can be more of myself and continue figuring out what exactly it is, you know, in to have my own human experience. Uh, but no, for a very long time, I was not a risk taker. Like the biggest risk I would take, and this is a big risk, but like it felt small because it's something that I do frequently. I think risks change depending on how frequently you do them. But the biggest risk in my life for a good long time was just going and auditioning for plays, which is huge. You're putting yourself in a room full of people who, like, don't know you and saying, hey, here's my heart. Hope you like it. Cast me in your show, maybe. And sometimes that works really well. And then, yay. But if it doesn't work, it it feels a lot like getting, you know, stepped on with a stiletto heel. Um, So that was the risk that I would take. And then I'm learning how to take other ones in other areas of life. Slowly but surely. Ah, yes, the coming of age tale where you become a very popular audio fiction writer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, I I seem to have accidentally thrown myself into the deep end with a pocket full of rocks, and I'm just like, gotta empty these out real fast. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Thank God I'm a swimmer, right? I'm a Pisces, so that worked out real well for me. Yeah, you'll be fine. (laughs) <laughs> we'll see. So in addition to, to risk, there's a preoccupation with, with depths, with descending so far in your work, right? Um, and unknown horrors in water. Right? There's aquatic beasts and here be dragons, the mm-hmm. subterranean ruins and Giannis descending, and now primordial deep. Um, <laughs> what appeals to you about dark water? I can't see the bottom. Um, 
I am very much an introvert, so I do well sort of on the inside of my own head, which is, you know, technically you close your eyes and you're in a very dark space. Um, I also find a lot of the things that I am inherently attracted to are larger than myself. So concepts like the ocean, concepts like space, concepts like dinosaurs, well, not concepts, but dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Um, I'm really interested in in the big things. Um, And I, I think there's so much of the world that there is left to explore. There's so much of this universe that is so beautiful and strange and sometimes it's scary but sometimes it's incredible and I really love the concept that you know as the captains of our own ships we can find out any mystery that we put our mind to and then you know you figure that one out and you're like cool but in figuring out this one mystery I have 8,000 others there's always something more and I think that's kind of another thing that I love about dark water that like you know, you reach in, you don't know what's there. You pull something out. You reach in again, there's something new. And it just kind of keeps going. <laughs> and it's bonkers. <laughs> the universe is so weird, you guys. Loves a pattern, so we keep seeming to start swirling around the same things over and over and over again. But inherently, even within all the same patterns, there's always something new. Yeah, I get really excited. <laughs> Sometimes the things that you pull out are dinosaurs. Some- <laughs> God, just bring me dinosaurs. <laughs> I know we have the whole Jurassic Park like series as to why that's a bad idea, <laughs> but I want them. <laughs> so you, this is where the AV would have been coming handy. So I'm gonna uh, have you describe it also. But you recently released a new logo for your production company. Yes. Uh, no such thing, radio. So. Tell us what it looks like, since people can't see it, and then talk to me about it, because there's layers here, and I'm not wrong. Oh, oh, there's so many layers. <laughs> um, so, uh, the image is of, uh, it's one of the Celtic knots. It's the one that kind of looks like a triangle that just sort of does the triple swirl thing. So that's the big image. But imagine that as a three-headed snake swallowing itself. That snake is made of multicolored crystal. So that's the image, the three-headed crystal snake swallowing its own tail. This comes from Primordial Deep, which was why I originally had it commissioned. Uh, It is the symbol of the secret organization, uh, which is known as the Syndicate of Vis, which uh, that particular, minor spoiler, it's not a big deal. Um, That particular organization is in the constant pursuit of knowledge. Uh, So that's what they do. And then you later find out that there are three heads to this particular syndicate, uh, one of whom we follow throughout Primordial Deep. Uh, So I had that image commissioned, and uh, Chelsea Getter, who is the incredible artist that we work with, um, who did all of the character designs for Giannis Descending and just a bunch of other things, uh, sent that back. And she sent it back, and the uh, crystal image of the snake, the colorization is the same as the colorization for the Gorgons in the images for Giannis Descending, which is super duper spooky, and I love it. Uh, 
and I saw it and I was like, oh, this is super emblematic of all the weird shit I make, isn't it? I should just make this our logo. Because on the one hand, it's, you know, you look at it and you're like, ooh, crystals, pretty. And then you see the snakes and you're like, ah, oh, dangerous, kind of don't like this. Uh, the snake swallowing its own tail, which is called an Ouroboros, um, also links back to an episode of Here Be Dragons that never actually got made. Uh, but the image of a snake swallowing its own tail is emblematic of eternity because it just keeps going around and around and around forever. It's never actually going to manage to, you know, finish itself. Um, the stories that I want to tell lie in that balance between the light and the dark, between the beautiful and the dangerous, between the fantastically strange and the tangible. Um, so it's all of these things that I'm really, really deeply interested, all sort of pressed into one very weird image that I now get to play with in a whole other uh, bunch of series and things like that. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, Jordan's table is outside on the main floor. Yes, you can uh, see the image uh, on the table runner that we have. And uh, by the way, the, this image, when it was posted on social media, the image of the snake eating itself is on top of dark water. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I didn't catch that. I, just, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Who, me? Themes? I would never. <laughs> okay. Um, so you've spoken also uh, fairly publicly about failure, especially... Oof creative failure. Mm -hmm. so I'm going to read one of your tweets aloud. It's the one about the posters. Oh, great. I'll warn you. <laughs> I'm going to read it. <laughs> so I have a poster of my greatest creative success at one end of my bed and a poster of one of my most beloved and bitter creative failures on the other end. My room is full of tactile representations of where I've been and what I've made. Days like today, it helps to see I am a spectrum. So what's on the posters? So uh, I have a giant poster of Giannis descending uh, directly over the head of my bed. And at the foot of my bed, I have, and I'll actually also along the side, um, well, the one at the foot of my bed is of the characters from Here Be Dragons. Uh, it was an image, I'm not sure if we ever got to release it anywhere. Um, and then the posters that are along my sign, I have a sign that says, Here Be Dragons, which I got when we were making the show. And uh, images of four women facing the four directions uh, who were emblematic of the characters that I was writing. Um, so... Why do you keep them up there? Um, because it was... They're all pieces of myself. And I think it's really important that when we are looking at ourselves in any given moment, to remember that we are not just one thing. When I wrote that tweet, I was having a shitty day. I had made some of the, what felt like the just dumbest life decisions I'd ever made and everything just kind of crashed in on one day. And I found myself in my room feeling, you know, sorry for myself, like you do, because yeah. we're human. Valid. <laughs> and, and I looked up, 
because I'm laying on my bed and I look up and I can see Giannis descending over my head. And I'm like, that's a thing that I made that people really intensely love, that this is a thing, this is a good decision I made. And then I look at the foot of my bed and I can see Here Be Dragons. And I personally, I know that show is like intensely beloved by a bunch of people. And I really love that show. I love the characters. It was my first, you know, jumping into audio fiction. Uh, and even though a lot of things went technically wrong and that we never actually finished season one, that it's written, it's recorded, but because of a bunch of different reasons, it's not going to get released uh, as it was intended. And that particular story, I mean, I, I'm five episodes into season two, and it's, it's just not going to get told uh, the way that it was originally intended. And I personally have felt that as a, as a failure. You know, I failed to complete something that I started. I failed to deliver on a promise that I made to an audience. I failed to tell you a story. Um, that even if it's something that I really, really love, it's something that's, you know, it, it didn't work. And that happens a lot of the time. And I think it's really important that we can see ourselves from all angles that like I can, on the one hand, completely fucking bomb a story. And on the other hand, I can actually tell you a story and have it be a story that you really enjoy. Um, so finding yourself in that gray space of just being a person, I find is really important. And I have such a hard time reminding myself of this that I had to do it in a very public sphere. Uh, <laughs> because otherwise I forget. But that I think it's also important to share not just your success, but especially your failures when you have a platform. Because people only ever sent, like, see the finished product. They only see when you are celebrating your success. If you tell them that, like, hey, for every, like, one page of this script that I wrote, there are 40 others that I threw away, you know, they're gonna understand, oh, okay, all of the things that I'm going through are, like, it's the same process. And that I don't have to feel bad about me with my work in progress because I'm looking at your existing successful project. Yeah. I think that it's very brave to be able to confront failure in this way. Um, I think it's very difficult. I don't think that we learn how to do that. Um, yeah, like no. in general, I, I speak generally from existing in society in the U.S. on the internet um, and in in Puerto Rico, and that's just not something that we are are taught. Um, it's something that you learn. Yeah, I think it's another thing that you know you kind of fall into. It's because because everybody falls it's a matter of picking yourself back up again and being able to admit that you fell and like you know if you're walking down the street and you're trying to look really cool and then you trip and you fall you might want to just kind of gloss over that mm -hmm. but for things that are if it matters to you then i think it is important that you share when you fail because it's gonna hurt and it's gonna be you know, I personally, I have to share the fact that I feel like with Here Be Dragons, I failed because it comes up frequently. 
You know, I, I'm still attached to the Twitter that is Here Be Dragon. So every time someone tags us or talks about it or retweets or anything, I get that notification. Uh, whenever people are writing reviews, I still see those. It's, it's something that comes up to, you know, people outside tell me, hey, I really love this show. And I'm like, thank you so much. I am so glad you love it. And inside I'm going, oh God, this is another person I disappointed. I completely fucked up. It's the worst. But you have to share these moments because there are other people out there who are feeling the same way. And it's, it's hard and it sucks. I'm not gonna lie, it really fucking sucks sometimes to like just admit that you've failed. But we all do it. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more normalized it becomes and the more okay with failing we become. And that's how you start learning to take risks. I'm trying to admit when I fuck up so that I will be like, okay, this is a thing that I can do and be comfortable with so that I can get the courage to try. You sort of jumped onto my next question was how can we learn from failure without rubbing salt in our own wounds? <laughs> I think there's always going to be a little bit of salt. Especially me. I mean, I'm a salty bitch. <laughs> I will rub salt in here. I will rub it on my food. I will just sprinkle it into the world. I try not to sprinkle too much in the world, but you know, it's yeah. I think it's a matter of when you fail, give yourself the time to heal. Um, because I think if you immediately start to jump into talking about, hey, I really messed this up, sometimes that will hurt you more than it helps others. And I think there are some things, and you know, private failures are also perfectly okay. It is perfectly fine to not be okay with talking about something. That It's a matter of know thyself. That's kind of my internal model, motto, is know yourself well enough to know when you can share these things and when it may be helpful for others and when it will do harm to yourself. I think it's really important to you know, know when it's gonna be like, is this just going to be a light salting? <laughs> or am I just trying to shove the whole like Himalaya pink salt like into my veins? Because one, is significantly right. One is healthier and better than the other. You know, a little bit of salt goes away in time. You stick the whole crystal on there and it, well, one, you're Peter, but two, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't listened. Um, but also, well, not really, they, they're all That's dead fine. in the end. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> awful. You're doing fine. You got this. But yeah, you know, you stick the whole crystal in your veins and that's going to sting much more for much longer. And who, who, do, do, who does it help? What good have you done by injuring yourself that deeply? Art doesn't necessarily have to be suffering. You don't have to suffer to become a better person or to become a better artist. You learn from it. You become more human from it. But after a certain point, you're just hurt. Yeah. Let's talk about the inverse now. Right. Let's talk about success. Yes. Yeah. So we talk, this is also something that happens a lot, right? People like to talk about, though sometimes not really do anything about failure, right? They like to talk about what to do when, like, your manuscript doesn't get accepted, mm -hmm. what to do when your podcast doesn't take off, right? 
But I don't think that we, I also don't think that we talk enough about what you can do when you have a successful creative work and what that means for you, for your audience, and for your potential audience, mm. right? So I would love to hear your thoughts on responses to success, especially uh, after Giannis descending. Yeah. Um, nervous is the first thing that comes <laughs> to mind. Uh, I've been having this experience. I have had this experience at every single con that I have been to for podcasting. And also every time I get like emails or just open Twitter, someone will come up to me and they'll say, oh my God, Giannis Descending, I love that show. And I panic and lose all vocabulary whatsoever. And I'm like, oh my God, thanks. Because uh, the way that my brain functions is, okay, I made the thing, I put it out into the world. I don't have to deal with this anymore because I'm not working on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. There is the part where you have made an artistic work and then other people get to interact with it. And I'm not used to that yet. Um, and it's something that, success is a funny word because here's the thing, success is entirely relative. My version of success is different than your version of success, is different than your version of success. And it's, it shifts from every single person. So, you know, from someone who all they've ever wanted in life is to uh, have a book deal and a TV deal and a movie deal. I wouldn't technically be a successful podcaster, but to someone who just wants to have like a hundred people listen to their show, I would be considered incredibly successful. Um, and that boggles my mind. Um, and I, I, I didn't set any expectations for Giannis Descending besides to write it and to put it into the world. And I did that, and so I considered that a success. And so everything that has come afterwards has, has frankly been rather overwhelming for me um, because I, I don't necessarily always realize that I am visible. Uh, and, and I don't always, this specific instance right now, sitting here being able to <laughs> share my thoughts and feelings with a room full of people, is a very weird feeling for me because I don't necessarily always recognize the fact that I have a voice and that there are people out there who are listening to me. You know, you get on Twitter and you feel like you're shouting into a void. Mm -hmm. You put a podcast out and it's just like, I have dropped this on Libsyn and that is all. And to a certain extent, you know, listeners, downloads, that sort of thing, it's just numbers on a ticker. And you don't know how many of those are real. It's like... Mm -hmm all of a sudden you realize there's a person across the world in, in India or in South Africa or China or Australia who has listened to something that you made in your bedroom, in your pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh my God, I'm having a minor existential crisis at this moment. <laughs> who, who has listened to something that you made and it matters and it impacts them. And for me, that's what success is, is if I can tell a story that impacts someone else and makes them want to tell the story. And it's very weird 
to actually get auditory or visual or whatever kind of confirmation that that success has occurred. And I, I don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to talk about it. It's why when people say nice things about me, I panic and try to like become a turtle and pull my <laughs> whole body into my torso. And it doesn't work. And I'm, a and I'm still here and I'm still visible. And I don't, there's a part of me that's like, I want to be able to like just put things out there and disappear. And I'm like, you should have thought of that a long ass time ago. <laughs> and you know, podcasting in, in a way, you can kind of protect yourself from that. You can just be an anonymous face or voice or storyteller on the internet. It's when you get in front of people. I mean, but even then, you know, when people interact with your work, they interact with it in a lot of different ways, and you see art, or someone sends you an email. That is my favorite thing in the world, when someone just sends me like a three-line email of, hey, I listened to it, and I love it, and thank you for making your thing. And I, I swear to God, I cry every single time. Like, just, again, in my bedroom, in my PJs, like, oh God, there are other humans in the universe, and they have seen this. So it's weird. It's a weird, funny feeling, being visible, being heard. Um, and I'm trying, because I don't necessarily know that I would call myself successful. I would just call myself a storyteller. Uh, and I just know that my story is out there and that it's impacting people, and that's what I wanted. So, like, thumbs up, let's move on to the next one, is kind of how my brain works. But I think it's important to on some level, I'm like, okay, people see me as successful. People, on the one hand, like there are expectations for my own work now that have me so nervous. But on the other hand, I'm like, okay, well, what can I do with this space that I've suddenly be, been ushered into? What do I do now that people can see me, now that people are actively listening for what I'm going to say? How do I use that? to make things better and make more stories happen. I'm still figuring that out. It's a long process, I think. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'll, I'll be like, Eureka, I've got it! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're dead, and then it'll be fine. And then I'll be a ghost and I can haunt people. <laughs> yeah, I don't see an issue with that one. Yeah, right? Yeah. It'll be great. Just, you can still speak into a microphone as a ghost, probably. Oh, God. <laughs> I, there, there are podcasts about exactly that, right? <laughs> so we've been talking a lot also about um, social media, right, Twitter. And so you've used uh, Twitter to great effect in the past to start in-depth discussions on creativity, the life of artists, various facets of community building. What kind of role do you perceive social media has in your work as a fiction podcast creator? Um, it's like a megaphone uh, that I am, you know, just, I am one person in the universe. There's only so far that my actual physical, like sound wave voice can carry. But social media is this wonderful slash horrible slash weird little bubble where suddenly I go from, I, my voice can only carry, let's say, 20, 30 feet <coughs> to <coughs> thousands and thousands of miles that I can say something here 
and someone, you know, again, in Australia is going to hear me. And that I think it's important to use that to find connection. Um, because otherwise we're, again, just screaming into the void. And so it's, you know, you can use that to say, hey, buy my book. Or you can say, hey, what kind of characters would you rather see in scripts so I can start writing them so you can start playing them? Awesome. What's your favorite dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you Sophie's Choice me like this? <laughs> okay, wait. Are we talking? Okay, you said dinosaurs. So I did that, say dinosaurs. That narrows out the marine reptiles mm -hmm. and the pterosaurs. Yeah. So, <laughs> Deinonychus, which is the kind of raptor that the velociraptors in Jurassic Park are based off of. Fun fact: Velociraptors, like the actual creature velociraptor, about the size of a chicken. Deinonychus, on the other hand. <laughs> Oh, what a glorious beastie she is. <laughs> uh, could jump about eight feet straight up in the air. Uh, those switchblade claws that are on their feet, uh, we only see the bone. There actually were keratin sheets around them, like cat's talons. So they were probably three or four times larger than what you see in the bone. Yes, I'm seeing so many horrified and just like deeply uncomfortable faces right now. It's just... <laughs> bringing me, I'm so sorry, but it's bringing me joy. Also, wait, I need to take just this moment. Yeah. Um, okay. So, T-Rex did not have feathers. There is actually no scientific evidence to say that a T-Rex <laughs> had feathers. Listen, I have a platform and I will use yes. it. <laughs> there is zero scientific evidence to say that T-Rex actually had feathers. They are assuming, they hypothesize that T-Rex may have had feathers, because it is related to uh, dromaeosaur, dromaeosaurs, which is the raptor family, so velociraptors, deinonychus, so on and so forth, which there is evidence of them having feathers, and dr dromaeosaurs are related to birds. Now, birds had already evolved by the time T-Rex was around. I'm just going to throw that out there. And they've, they've found zero evidence whatsoever, but some guy went oh, they have the wishbone thing going on, and they're related to dromaeosaurs, they must have feathers. And now everybody draws T-Rex like a goddamn pigeon, and it pisses me off. <laughs> 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 oh. Can, can we, like, rewind for a second? Did you say that the... What the name of your favorite one? Deinonychus. Deinonychus, thank you. Yes. It's got feathers? Yes. I... Yes, probably. probably. Um, there are other species of raptors that they have found actual uh, imprints of the feathers, or very, very rarely, like, dinosaurs will show up mummified, and you can just kind of see imprints of where they were. So it's a giant, deadly chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. All right. <laughs> I won't say it. <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, raptor does mean bird of prey. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Uh, not quite a giant deadly chicken. I have personal issues with chickens. That's an entirely different story. <laughs> it's a very stupid story, <laughs> but yeah, sure. If we want to go that route, no, I will say they were giant deadly falcons. That makes me feel better. Yeah, giant right. deadly falcons. Sounds good. Um, so at this point, I would love to open the floor to audience questions. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you guys have a question for Jordan, or I guess for me, but you're here for Jordan, so please do <laughs> <laughs> later. 
Is it okay for a two-parter? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know me, I love a good two-parter. All right. First. <laughs> that sounded worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please ask your question. What do you feel is your biggest source of inspiration for your writings? And two, with regard to your writing process, do you find yourself absorbing and adapting ideas from other writings you consume, or do you like to stay within your own headspace when you're creating? Um, I'll answer part two first. I'd say yes, I absolutely, uh, I do pull inspiration from a lot of the things that I've already encountered. Um, so, uh, stories that I've heard or, uh, the world that I'm living in, just all sorts of things I find do wind up in my work. Um... But I do try as much as I can to stay in my own headspace because I know that all of those influences are constantly running like a current. Um, it's why I say that I cannot listen to audio fiction while I'm trying to write one because I, my brain will take an idea that I heard in someone else's show and go, I could go in this different direction with it. And then I start running in that direction, but it still feels not stealing like an artist, but it feels like plagiarism when, I, when it happens that way. As opposed to work that I've sat with that, you know, sort of lives in me already uh, that is influencing my work. Because I, I don't think we can live or create in a vacuum. Um, I said things that inspire me include things that are larger than myself, concepts that are larger than myself. So space I'm fascinated by, the ocean I'm fascinated by. I don't have to say dinosaurs ever again because <laughs> we know at this point. We know. Um, H.P. Lovecraft has been a big one lately. Um, uh, there are, there, there's just there's so many. Um, it's really hard. Star Trek is one. Uh, yes. Um, Star Trek is one, uh, not only because of the characters and the stories that they tell, but also just the concept of, at the end of the day, we're all more similar than we are different. I find that uh, the concepts of the books that I read and the movies that I watch and that sort of a thing seep into me. And I get to sit with those and play with them and see how exactly they fit into my own eyes and how I can try to share that again with others. Sure. Hi. Um, I was just curious, are you ever sort of inspired by the themes or concepts that show up in like ancient stories? So like the stories that sort of just keep getting retold over generations? Oh, Giannis Descending is just a, a sort of awful retelling of Perseus and the Gorgon. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of, I love mythology. I love it. And I think it's just, we all have shared history and shared stories, and we all have heroes, we all have villains that we are all inherently aware of. And I am really interested in how those shared experiences can be translated. Um, but I, yeah, the older the story, the better. <laughs> yes? Direct follow-up to that. Uh, are you familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh? Have you read The Summer Prince by Eliot Don Johnson? And would you be curious to do anything you've with that? I haven't, but as soon as I do, 
I mean, like, I, I am familiar of, like, the Gilgamesh, like, the story. I've mm-hmm. heard of it. I haven't actually gotten to, like, sit down and experience it just, mm-hmm. just yet. Um, but as soon as I do, I, just a million ideas are going to start percolating, going and going and going and going. And have you read Elia Don Johnson's The Summer Prince? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. No, uh, should I? I? I would recommend it. Oh, excellent. Uh, Queer <laughs> <laughs> rebellious romance in a post-apocalyptic uh, Brazilian. Uh, <laughs> All right, so everyone pull out your phones. My phone's in the other room. They're using it for the square. We'll share it. Dope. We got it for you. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, this is also like recorded. I'll be able to go through like, oh god, what was the name of that book? <laughs> yeah. Which I will do later. I, I can go to Ellie. Yeah. Please do. Mm-hmm. Please do. Got <laughs> time for one more brief question. Sure. Yeah. Okay, it's a cool, it's a cool one, I think. Oh. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that your stage acting has added anything, any more of an edge or something creative to either your work in podcasts or how you write characters in podcasts? Absolutely. Um, I, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I started off as an actor. I've been acting since I was in the second grade, and then writing came around seventh grade. Uh, and then sort of was always a background sort of thing until I started audio fiction, really. Um, so I, I primarily think of myself as an actor. Uh, and then storyteller. Well, no, just storyteller overarching and then actor, writer, many hat wearer. Um, I've found it really helps me to create character voices and to be able to... I said this in another panel earlier. I talk to myself a lot. It helps to be able to put that on the page sometimes. Um, It helps me to find new perspectives and to explore new worlds when I can put myself in the shoes of every single person who's experiencing it and how they're experiencing it and what they're going to do with that. Um, But yeah, it's... My work tends to be... I think of my actors first Poor Julia. I think of my actors and the story from the perspective of what is happening to these people before I think of the actual medium that it's in or um, the fact that Julia has to sound design any of it, which, which is why I have given her complete and total veto power over all of my scripts. I'm like, if there are things in here you don't like, you get to say, Jordan, no, and I'll be like, cool, cool, cool. I will work this again. Because <laughs> there's a lot to that. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you Jordan. so much for having me. Yeah, and thank you to everybody for your great questions and being here. Thank you. Yeah.